Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today is Florent Thevenin, who is the director of the futureeconomy.ca, which is a unique Canadian online media that produces multimedia interviews with Canada's top leaders from business and government to the indigenous community, academia, and other major stakeholder groups, all of which is to help define a strong vision for Canada's future economy. Flo co-developed the platform from scratch, building an impressive library of interviews and an influential Canadian and international following in the process. Together with his team, he has secured and nurtured close partnerships with top Canadian public and private institutions across a broad range of sectors from natural resources and health to investment promotion and tech. Flo has a BA in business administration from the Hotel School of the Hague, the Netherlands, and more than a decade of experience leading projects across 12 countries throughout Europe, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Africa, as well as across Canada. He speaks a number of languages aside from English, including French and Dutch fluently, German and Spanish moderately, as well. Flo is passionate about international current affairs, including business, energy, sustainability, media, travel, music, and even far more than all of that. He has conducted over 1,000 high-level interviews, including over 500 in Canada. Today, he joins me to sit on the other side and somewhat uncomfortable side of the microphone as the interviewee rather than the interviewer. Listen in as we cover a wide range of topics. Enjoy. Florent Thevenant. Call me Flo for the sake of this conversation. Flo. Flo. Flo it is. Well, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Great to have you as a guest. 
My pleasure. You're sitting in um, Montreal today. Correct. It's a warm, beautiful day in Montreal. And as we get wound up on this, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, tell me, Flo, what the heck do you do? Why are you on the show? I have no freaking idea. <laughs> I'm on the show because you asked me to be on the show because we met sort of randomly, I think, on social media. You happen to be coming to Montreal a few days later, in a complete uh, happenstance. We had a wonderful time with you and Natalie at uh, at the St. Paul, I think it's called. Yeah. Very nice, very nice place. We had a few drinks together and, and we hit it off right away. That's why I'm here, I think. Yeah, well, no, actually, why you're here, well, that's part of the reason why you're here, but I got an opportunity to meet you and I went, this is an interesting cat. So, you know, Florent, let's talk about why you're so interesting. You know, tell me what you do and uh, why you do it. And let's start there. What is it that you do on your kind of in your business? And we're going to talk about your journey because you're just an interesting cat. And I want to kind of draw that out of you because there's lots of lessons to be learned in this always. I know that, you know, from the uh, in the context of uh, seemingly ordinary uh, that have achieved extraordinary, you definitely qualify. So uh, let's talk about it. What do you do these days, Flo? Well, first of all, I'm humbled. And second of all, uh, it, it, it's never easy to speak about yourself and to try to be kind of objective and uh, provide anyone with something that's useful beyond tooting your own horn. And I also, I think, oh, you an apology because I think it's Natalie and I think your wife is called Stephanie. Oh, yeah, Stephanie. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Stephanie, yes. You didn't even notice. <laughs> anyway, um, look, um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of grew up or maybe at some point in my life started um, thinking that it is important to think that you're special or at least that your life is special. If anything, it's it's special to you. Right. And and, it, and I think it kind of helps you to think that it's, you know, while being humble, of course, and putting things in their context. But to think that that your life um, uh, means something, that uh, it certainly means something to people around you and that uh, and that it's as special as you want to make it. And from a very young age, I've had this sort of burning feeling inside me. It's the best way I can describe that, that I could do a lot of cool, great things without having any idea what that was. The first thing I would say is I'm, you know, I'm born lucky. I mean, we live in a world where, you know, depending on where you're born uh, and, uh, you know, your, your, your family or lack thereof or those kind of things play a very big part in who you are. And so... You know, I have uh, I have parents that have led great lives. My father is French. My mother is Dutch. My mother moved to France, ended up marrying my father, later divorcing him. But for me, it didn't make a difference. I, you know, I, I was already alive by that point. And so, so having a multicultural family definitely played a part in my life. My mom remarried an American, which you could say is part of why I live in North America today and certainly why I speak English. But yeah, so I think the people around you, your environment, uh, of course, your genes, I mean, I, I believe in all of that. So, so there's definitely an element of luck, let me put it like that. If I want to try to summarize and fast forward to today, I definitely think that uh, coming from a family with multiple languages, multiple countries, France, Netherlands, the US, my stepdad is originally from Finland. Uh, my brother married and now lives in Japan for the last 10 years. My sister, one of them, lives in South Korea for many years now. You know, all of these things, without a doubt, played a part in sort of giving me that global lens, in giving me opportunities even just to go to these places, you know? And, and, and that's, that's a huge advantage in life, I think, seeing something else than your bubble, than your, than your microcosm. So, 
So all of those things, again, are, I, I cannot uh, not begin by, by basically expressing gratitude for, for the luck, for the family, for the opportunities. What it is I do today, I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a communicator. I, uh, I connect people. I promote people, issues, and ultimately Canada. You know, the website that I help create and direct with its founder and editor uh, is called thefutureeconomy.ca. And it's all about not just waving the Canadian flag, but about promoting dialogue on important issues. You know, and we maybe we'll get this into this a bit more later, but uh, I think there is opportunity there to, 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 to make sure that we're talking, that we're discussing national issues. Uh, and, 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 and anyway, I could get into Canada, but to finish on me, I think, um, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's luck. Uh, it's taking chances. You know, it's, uh, when I had an opportunity to go study in Holland, I didn't think twice. Maybe I was running away from something. I don't know. But I, I remember thinking, whoa, I could travel abroad. I could, I could move. I could go and live in a different country. How cool does that sound? And then, you know, time passes by and you, you can't believe how much has happened since then. You know? Yeah, well, one of the reasons that I wanted to, to have you on the show is because I got some insights into some of the things that, you know, you've done and, and kind of a, a brief snapshot of your journey to where you are today. You know, I'm going to circle back to this comment that you made about being born lucky. And it's so interesting because I believe, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure you do as well, well as many of our listeners, is that our life is a reflection of how we view the world. Our life is a reflection of our self-talk. And, and as much as we say, well, our, my upbringing was blessed, uh, there's lots of those individuals whose upbringing wasn't so blessed, yet they've done some amazing things. And all of that stems back to, you know, the lens which you view the world. And, you know, you look at the world and go, I was just born lucky. I was born fortunate. I was, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for all that's happening in my life. That to me is a, you know, a statement of character. It's a statement of why your life is like anybody is far from perfect, but you've done some amazing things. And that's kind of cool. And I want to talk a little bit about that as we go. I want to start where we are today and kind of work backwards to that. But to give listeners some insights, you speak a number of languages and uh, you've got French, English. What else? You got Dutch? Dutch, Spanish and German. But I would say English and French. Well, French is my mother tongue. English from a very young age through my stepdad and eventually my education in Holland, which was in English, and then the rest of my career in English. So I would say English is pretty much my number one language just by practicing it. Sure. And then French, I mean, I'm born into it and it's my, it's my, it's my mother tongue, literally, even though it comes from my father. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then German, even though I was a, not a great student of German, my mom being Dutch spoke German uh, very fluently, so she was able to help me. And when I moved to Holland, I ended up learning Dutch, not immediately, but eventually after spending 10 years there. And suddenly German opened up in my mind because Dutch and German are very similar. And so French by birth, English by upbringing, Dutch by moving to Holland, and then German because once you know Dutch, you know German relatively easily. And then Spanish because I, I worked for a Spanish company for five years. I had a Mexican girlfriend for three. I, and I just love, and it's a Hispanic language. So with the French, it's, uh, yeah, again, it helps. It all came together. It made sense to you in your brain. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, one of the things that you and I got fired up about when we were having the conversation about is about Canada, about the economy. We're, I'm talking real estate. You're talking about 
uh, small business overall, entrepreneurs, something that we're both passionate about as SMEs and and what's going on in Canada and, and the decisions that are being made given what's happening economically with COVID. And not just that. I mean, the futureeconomy.ca, you've been in operation for a while. You've been doing a lot of things. Tell me a little bit about the futureeconomy.ca and, and what is your kind of, um, what's your objective with that particular site and that particular business model? Well, I'd love to. That That's definitely, uh, you know, I don't have children. So I would say this is... Uh, my baby together with its uh, owner and founder, Tim Penketh, who I have to give a quick shout out to because it's his company, but I, I helped direct it and I, I love it. And uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a very big part of my life. Ultimately, the site, thefutureeconomy.ca, is a site of interviews with Canadian leaders on the future of Canada's economy. Um, and so we interview leaders from government, from industry, from academia, from uh, industry associations, from there are some key topics, you know, like around, as you said, entrepreneurship, because it's essential to the economy, but also innovation, sustainability, uh, talent, also very important. Uh, and ultimately, Canada's global competitiveness and impact on the world. So sort of some of our beliefs that underpin this, this website, which was created, created just three years ago, really, is, um, is that one, Canada is a great country. It's, it's, uh, it's almost cheesy to say it like that. But if you look now, and you mentioned COVID, you know, I mean, we can spend a lot of time criticizing what hasn't been done or too late or miscommunicated. You know, the list goes on, on and on. But, um, but, but really, we're we're much safer. We're much better managed. We're we're, you know, we're in a good place compared to many other places that I won't mention right now. And so, so, so it's one about recognizing what's already being done. For instance, to support entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, the kind of values that underpin Canada Inc. or Canada as a country and its economy. Two, it's also to recognize, and there I'm putting on my European lens, because to be clear for your listeners, I, I'm not Canadian. I'm actually French-Dutch. And I was going to be a Canadian. I, I could be a Canadian from March 2020, but with COVID, I thought, <laughs> I don't know if I want to burden the system with that somewhat um, less critical uh, uh, step right now. But, um, but, but, Looking at it as a foreigner who has traveled around the world, who comes from other countries, Canada is a great country, but it's also a very divided country, you know. And uh, so I, I happen to have lived in Calgary and Vancouver and now in Montreal. And it has always amazed me how each province is almost considered as a separate country, at least within Canada. And so for me, and I think for Tim as well, he's also international, has traveled even more than me. It was also about building a long-term vision of Canada's future economy on our scale, you know, with what we do, but, but trying to help build narrative around what Canada is, what Canada can be. And very importantly, when those questions or those things have been identified, how do we get there? Who needs to do what? What's the role of government? Of course, in, during COVID times, the government is... Is, is extremely important. Uh, but what's the role of the private sector? What about entrepreneurs themselves? What about innovators? What about our, our teachers and academia? And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What about people, consumers? You know, and so it's about projecting Canada into its future, which of course is, is not an exact science. Uh, and it depends who you interview. You gave me some very interesting answers that are yours. That is your vision through your lens, your experiences. I answered that if I asked a minister, it might be a different answer if I asked a, a youth entrepreneur too. But then also very much trying to provide answers. Okay, that's your vision, Patrick. How do we get there? What do we need to do? And of course, the list is usually a very long list. So what are your low-hanging fruits? What would you do first? What would you do now? 
we did an interview, as you know, last Thursday, just a few days ago. And what I liked is that when talking about the real estate sector and the overall economy, your big emphasis was on entrepreneurs and SMEs. You know, as someone who directs an SME myself, of course, I appreciate that personally. But I really think Canada has a has an opportunity here. We're very good at innovating. A lot of it comes from our academic institutions, from, frankly, even government programs, BDC, EDC, uh, SDTC, all those. But where we're not so good is at converting that innovation, all that grunt work that you know you have to put in to, to, to take anything off the ground, converting that into a true sector and ideally global success story. I always tell, tell people, give me one French company. People scratch their head a bit, and of course, then they go into the luxury sector, the auto industry, Airbus, but they have plenty of names. Give me, and if I ask the same question in, in Europe, give me the name of a Canadian company. People are a little smart. They'll say Air Canada. They'll say Canada Goose. That's it. And that's a problem. We don't have anchor companies in enough sectors, companies that are global, undisputed leaders. Of course, the US has plenty, but you know, Sweden, you know, think about H&M. Uh, and, and there are many more. Uh, uh, of course, IKEA. Those are global leaders from a country with half Canada's population. We do lack that. But, okay, so we're going to, we're going to get there. You've just let, you've, you've opened up so many doors that I don't know which one I want to go through <laughs> right now. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, first and foremost, I, you know, I, I really agree with you a lot on the whole conversation around Canada being as divided as it is. It actually is one of those things that I observe that when you go from province to province and, and we, Stephanie and I and, and Rain as a team, we travel back and forth. You know, we're, we're Alberta, British Columbia, uh, Ontario all of the time. Then, of course, we venture into Quebec and we, we're, we're just, you know, as the nature of our, our executive team, we travel, you know, through business individually. So and we're always paying attention to what's going on in Canada. And the division is quite stark. It, it actually is frustratingly that way. I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I say I'm bi-provincial. You know, we have businesses in Alberta, specifically in Edmonton, and have had for 35 years plus. I was born and raised there and entered that business world in Edmonton, as did Stephanie. Uh, we're, we are, we uh, also live in British Columbia, where Rain is based out of, uh, out of BC, although we're national in scope of what we do. And so I'm traveling back and forth. So we're bi-provincial. We have a home in Edmonton. We have businesses in Edmonton. We have a home in BC and businesses in British Columbia. And even in this little Western Canada world, the the difference between what goes on in British Columbia and Alberta is is such a stark difference, frustratingly so, by the way. So we can get into, you know, there's lots of conversation to be had about that division. Of course, then you get into the bigger scale about Western Canada and Quebec and Western Canada and Ontario and Ontario and Quebec. And it's just so frustrating. And I think they're, 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 we can get into the cause of it. But when I look at the future economy.ca and what, you know, part of I see the potential is you're bringing leaders together from across the country and having conversations with them. And, and I think we can't leave it. I, I just don't believe there's any point in trying to leave it to our government to set that up as a win, as a, as a collective, you know, to bring a country together. We can't do it. it you know, the, the population and the vote getting is big in Central and Eastern Canada. And of course, it diminishes in Western Canada. There's a, a 
a dramatic shift of views of the world between those two. And, and, and I think it really is up to us as leaders, you know, you and your team and the leaders that you interview, uh, you know, an organization such as Rain. we're national, we're small in scope, but, you know, we, we have big dreams and we have a big vision for where we want and the message we want to get out there. And so I look at that aspect of it, Flo, and, and, I, and I wonder, as you're talking to other leaders, because you, you've, you've interviewed some pretty big names in this world, what kind of message are you getting from them in this context? Because I think the division of Canada is an important conversation. Well, that's a big question. And uh, again, you also opened a few more doors, but that's the nature of this conversation. I, I love it. Um, first of all, the, the topic of Canadian unity as I said, being a non-Canadian, it's kind of funny. You know, I, I'm in a funny position. I, I promote Canada. I, I connect leaders. I interview, as you said, some big names in government industry across the country. And the topic ultimately is always Canada. You were right to say the future economy dot CA. In our logo, the dot CA is bold. Mm-hmm. We didn't hesitate to be a dot com. Will we have a the future economy dot FR in France? Maybe one day. But for now, our focus is singularly on Canada. So we're obviously very passionate about it. Before answering what people tell me uh, or tell us, um, let me let me just say that I, I agree that we can't rely on the government, not because the people themselves are not good people. I, I do believe the intentions of uh, of most of the people that I've spoken to in this country and the values, again, as I said earlier, that underpin that are strong. People make mistakes. People are clumsy. Sometimes people, you know, are just corrupt or whatever. But but I do think overall, you know. The, the intentions are the right ones. I think, and, I, and I'm not a, an expert in, um, in the constitution, but I do think that the fact that Canada is such a decentralized country, of course, decentralized like geographically, you know, the Rocky Mountains are not the same as downtown Toronto and the Pacific coast, Vancouver, all the way up to uh, Prince Rupert uh, is very different than uh, downtown Montreal or the Laurentians or, you know, I, Canada is a hugely diverse country and it starts with its topography, the size of the geography, but, it, but that inherently also means the people are, are different people. You know, we have, we, we have at least three groups of languages in Canada. I call them groups. Anglophone, which you could say is the most widely distributed, but even then you have different accents and cultures and Brits and, you know, people that speak it from coming from Portugal, but speak English with an accent. Or, and then the French thing is the same, you know, and I lived in Quebec now for, I've been living here for three years and I just, I was out earlier taking a little stroll and you hear French with like at least three different accents within five minutes and then English with three different accents. And then of course we have our indigenous community, perhaps I should have started with that, but uh, I don't even know how many languages there are, probably dozens. So I think the decentralized nature of our country is part of the problem. Perhaps also it's, it's an advantage. You know, we're, well, I think we're one of the most democratic countries in the world. You know, the fact that, for example, education or health I mean, we have, a, we have a federal minister for, for each of those, but we know that ultimately the jurisdiction is more provincial. And that's unique. In France, I mean, everyone knows the decisions take place in Paris. That's the end of most decisions. It talks about decentralization and there's a certain degree of it, but not the same way as in Canada, where you have a, essentially a prime minister, a premier for each province. When I landed in, in Calgary and I was asking where the government is, and I sort of knew from research, but people said, you have to go to Edmonton. I said, where is Edmonton? People said, oh, it's a, it's a three-hour drive. I said, well, I'll take the train. No, no, there's no train. You have to take a bus for three and a half hours you know, to go there. Oh, first of all, I was like, oh, okay, so it's in a different 
part of the province. And then you get there and you see the legislature. And my first impression was, wow, that is a massive building. And when you then realize that each province has a quote-unquote prime minister, called the premier, and a whole cabinet, a minister of energy. Of course, in Alberta, that would be very important. But maybe in other provinces, a little less. I mean, a minister of education, a minister of health, a minister of you know, social services, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're a very decentralized country. So it's a long-winded way of answering a question, which is, I agree with your premise. And the interviewees we speak to tell us the same thing, which is that the business sector needs to take the lead. Now, this is just me speaking, interpreting what they're telling me, but need to take the lead at unifying our country. Uh, because in business, borders are usually not a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I think only in Trump's mind are borders a good thing. But really, you see recently with the, 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 the aluminum tariffs, how you know, the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has come out strongly against it. I'm basically saying it's a minority of our membership that wants that. The vast majority say it's a very bad idea. Um, anyway, short of getting into politics, um, the people we speak to, they want to do business. They want to do business, first of all, within Canada and in the current environment. I think it's very important that we make that as easy as possible. You know, if I can buy BC wine, granted, I'm French, but I would love, you know, it's near impossible to find BC wine in Quebec. How absurd is that? Absurd. I love BC wine. I love French wine. I just at least like to have, you know, that, that opportunity. Why? You know? And, and again, the list goes on and on. So, so for me, making business within Canada is, is one of the most important things we can do right now. And that's what business leaders are generally. I won't specify which, but overall, that's what I hear. I love this one example of this Quebec company called Enerchem. They're a waste management, sort of waste to energy company. I don't really understand the tech side, but ultimately they take waste, they make energy out of it. And this is a Montreal-based company supported by Montreal private equity. And I think some of it comes from the government. I'm not even sure. But here's what I know. Their first test plant for this waste to energy was in Edmonton. Why? Because there is an airport there. Because there is, there's this industrial complex. Uh, I forget what it's called, but you probably know. And so therefore, there's a lot of waste to manage and to do something with. The fact that a Quebec company creates its first, its first test pilot project, whatever you want to call it, in Alberta, out of all places, when you consider everything we said before, you know, the whole Alberta versus Quebec political polarized you know, the narrative tells me that business knows no borders. And, then, and, and, and so, I don't know, we have to find a way, I guess, as a business community to come together and to, to, to sort of crowd out those usually political dis, you know discussions and try to unite our country uh, it's you know it's it's such a i mean we could talk for hours about it and the challenges that we face as a country and you know you know first off you know we're a population of 37 million and i mean in, in a global sense i mean we're not a we're barely a rounding error in anybody's especially to the u.s and some of these you know some other countries the point is is that you know, I want to go back to Edmonton, by the way. Edmonton's waste management is, they're global leaders. Edmonton is a global leader in waste management and recycling. And that started like literally 30 years ago by a mayor that nobody liked. And I've forgotten her name. I'm doing a disservice to her because she, you know, needs a shout out for that. But the point is, is that if she did nothing else, she did that and she did it brilliantly. And uh, without question, there's, uh, you know, we, we've had people from, we've had uh 
businesses in other countries visit Alberta, visit Edmonton specifically to look at that waste management program that they have. Just like, if I can interrupt, just like Saskatchewan mm -hmm. is world leader in carbon capture and sequestration, yes. which is going to be, by most accounts, essential to our you know, sustainability environmental challenges. But here's, the, here's something that, you know, I, I, would, I think is an interesting topic. You know, we talk about division and aside from politics, you know, my observation of division also comes with, we have a lot of immigration, so we are culturally diverse, awesome, love it. But, you know, people coming in from other countries are coming in from other countries with, let's say, a socialist background, very, you know, socialist-based companies. Well, they're coming in to you know, a country where there, that's where the vision is, you know, that's definitely where there's division, right? Is that, you know, I always, you know, I like the term and I don't remember where I got it from, but it was uh, a term called, uh, you know, being a compassionate capitalist, which means that, you know, you can be a capitalist without, you know, being far right, but there's a, you, you know, you, you, you know, going too far left doesn't work either. So, you know, there's, there's some belief systems around capitalism. There's some belief systems around entrepreneurialism that cause that division as well. Those individuals that, you know, think that business owners are rich and they're not paying me enough. And, and then the other side of it is the small business owner who realizes that, you know, given the tax base, given the cost of doing business, you know, given the cost of, uh, you know, minimum wage or whatever that might be, there there are some significant challenges that the non-entrepreneur has does not relate to. And so they're not wrong for not relating to it, but that creates, you know, a, additional division. Now, I'm not saying that the immigration is the cause of it by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's always been there and not everybody is an entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination. And, and so I'm not even being critical of it. I'm just have an observation of it that sometimes as an entrepreneur will get frustrating because there is a view of the world that, you know, let's say academics coming out of university or coming out of school, they just have a view of the world that isn't entrepreneurial, isn't running a business, isn't go with the risks and all the things that, that come with that. So when you look at the future.ca and the work that you're doing, do you see an opportunity in that? Or, or is there something that you do with that font that actually... I don't know, opens up the conversation more in, 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 its, in that division, do you think, between entrepreneurs and, and those who are not entrepreneurs? Is there something that we can do there to create an understanding of balance? Do you, how do you see it? First of all, it's the futureeconomy.ca, so we're even now, 1-1. One, one. Okay. <laughs> what did I say? Granted, the you said the future.ca. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, the future Granted, economy. The future economy, maybe oh, my job geez. is not my wife. Bad host, bad host. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, look, again, it's a big question, but uh, I would say a few things. I would say that, um, first of all, I do believe, and my, my wife uses this expression all the time, that the pendulum, you know, tends to swing and kind of overshoot on either side. So we go one way, like, let's say, being maybe environmentally irresponsible, in my words, but very just general characterization. You know, if you look at pollution, the oceans, plastics, all those things, and emissions is a part of it, but I think it's, it's a whole. There's no doubt in my mind that yeah we've made some significant mistakes we haven't thought long term enough we you know we, and so we have to repair that but of course then back to the to the metaphor of the pendulum you know now people are on the streets and we have to abandon capitalism and 
you know, and, and the reality is we don't really know of a better model that I know of. I mean, I'm not saying capitalism in its exact current form, but generally speaking, the, the fact that entrepreneurs can create something from nothing and, 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 and add value and as a result also earn, you know, benefits for themselves and for their teams and shareholders. And I don't know, I, I'm not really in a place to, 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 to say if I think capitalism is right or wrong, but what I do know is I don't, I don't think we have a tried and tested alternative model that that has worked. You know, socialism clearly, uh, at least as a as a, a as an entire solution. You know, because again, coming from France and I think Canada to a certain extent, there is there is a there is some socialism. I mean, in, sure. in, in certain things, right? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, being social. You know, it's funny the words like social, democratic, liberal. Yeah. I feel pretty liberal. Am I a liberal? I don't know. I, I'm conservative on some issue. Am I a conservative? You know, anyway, I, I digress. So first of all, th- this question of the pendulum, I, I think we're just trying to adjust and calibrate, you know, by trial and error, ultimately, along both sides of this, of this pendulum. I think that's what's happening. Um, so hopefully, you know, this polarized debate that we're seeing now, for instance, around resource development, I like the idea of uh, extreme centrism or extreme middle path. You know, in Alberta, there's a great group uh, called the Energy Futures Lab, uh, which is ultimately really trying to bring together the more pure play oil and gas and even oil sands developers and, and, and that ecosystem with environmentalists. And the idea is to say, you know, uh, okay, you know, disagreeing and trying to fight each other, you know, no, I'm right, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. That, that's never going to, you know, the solutions are going to find where we compromise. You know, you're married, I'm married, you, you've learned that <laughs> compromise is actually important and, and can lead to great things. So that would be the first thing I would say. Now, a solution, I think the first one would be, uh, as, at least as it pertains to entrepreneurship, is to talk about it more. I think, uh, again, back to the pendulum example, we talk a lot about sports, especially in Canada, but it's true all around the world. And that's great. There's some great values in sports. But uh, as we can, as we've learned in the last six months, we shouldn't rely just on sports because there might be times when we don't have it. Uh, we talk a lot about um, really Hollywood. I was going to say arts and culture, but I don't know that all of it is either artistic or, or cultural. But just you know, fame and you know the latest buzz and and it's fun. It's inter- it's entertaining. And but maybe we need to just talk more about our entrepreneurs. And I think it's starting. I think we're realizing that you know. We're, Maybe it's the Elon Musk effect, or I grew up, uh, or at least in my late teens, I was a fan that I still love Richard Branson, you know? And again, he's, we talked about this before you were recording, I think, but we're all flawed individuals. He has flaws and it'd be easy to find them. But the amount of value creation, this is a man who's, who's dyslexic, you know, uh, who had real issues with that growing up, but wasn't afraid of trying, of, of just saying, one, I don't know if I can say this on the show, but one of his favorite expressions is, fuck it, let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, So anyway, all that to say that entrepreneurs, I think, have always, but maybe it's more obvious now, how much value they're adding to our society. You know, uh, And of course, a lot of it is, is creating gizmos and gadgets and, again, fun, entertainment. And, but there's also some very, very important entrepreneurship like waste to energy, uh, like uh, you know, communication, uh, whether it be hard or software. Um, so, so I think talking about it, celebrating it, and ultimately improving how we promote it, not, not promoting it as in just waving the flag, but how we facilitate you know, the, the creation of companies, the growth, 
And ultimately, I think it's a cultural shift as well. A lot of the people we've spoken to at thefutureeconomy.ca, uh, you know, we all often compare ourselves to the U.S. And people say, you know, in Canada, there is a bit of an underdog, a bit of a maybe more hesitant, more conservative, I'm not speaking politically, uh, approach to business. And maybe we need to be a bit more like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's do it. It's interesting as we talk about entrepreneurs. I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, I love Rain and the Real Estate Investment Network is, you know, one of the cornerstones of what we teach. So, you know, Rain is an education-based business. We're a research company. We support people in creating a financial future through investing in real estate. But ultimately, the cornerstone of the message is that treat your real estate investing like a business. And what's interesting about that is that when we are speaking to our community of RAIN members or just those that follow us, which is, you know, over 28 years, well over 150,000, 5.3 billion in real estate which we know is conservative, like we've had a huge impact, but ultimately they're all entrepreneurs. I mean, when you buy a piece of real estate, for the most part, I shouldn't say all, because some are really kind of hands off. They're just, you know, they're parking capital in real estate and, and it's really a turnkey situation where they're not doing too much with it. But lots of do-it-yourselfers that we've trained and, and work with even to this day are actually driving little businesses. You know, every single house that they own has a client called a tenant. Every piece of property has an agreement with a bank. It, it employs people. It may have property management. It is uh, handyman. It is renovations that employ construction workers. It provides housing for individuals. So, you know, we've actually dropped to the degree we can the term landlord to reposition it as rental housing providers because it's a more, it's a, a term that makes actually when you think about it is softer it isn't that that old story of what a landlord is and when you treat your real estate investing like a business every single property that you own you have to consider your tenant as a client now it's all a little bit long-winded but it's all an understanding that we look at our housing market and and we look at the investment component of it. And, you know, maybe you didn't even know this, and, and but I'll share it with you, is that small, what we'll call mom and pop investors, you know, those individuals that own one, two, three rental properties, maybe 10 rental properties, and even immigration when the, you know, when immigrants came into Canada 35, 40 years ago, where they bought a, a multifamily building, they were providing housing. Well, they provide over 50% of Canada's rental housing, as opposed to the larger REITs or the boardwalks and all of those kinds of things. So when we look at, and what I get fired up about is where, I'm going to say our government and 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 I'm not saying it's not because it's liberal or it's conservative because it just in general we step over that that fundamental which is those are all entrepreneurs that are owning those properties in that scenario you know and and I know we can expand on that whole conversation so I'm I'm talking in you know kind of bullet points and you know really condensing it but it's understanding you know that entrepreneur take you know being a small business owner takes on all sorts of of looks and feels, you know, it's the, it's the one man show, it's the solopreneur or it's a, a large group. And, but all of that has an impact on what's going on in Canada. And we look at SMEs overall, and we look at the impact on, you know, our overall economy and it's pretty significant. 
In fact, in fact, the vast majority, and I don't, I don't know the exact stat, but the stat that I have in my head and is is not probably too far off. Seventy to eighty percent of Canada's economy are are SMEs. Now, mm-hmm. granted, they're small, medium. Yeah, SMEs. and then there's the, the larger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, really, when we you you talked earlier about people's perception of businesses being around, you know, people that make a lot of money, and the reality is that most entrepreneurs don't make a lot of money. I would think, uh, you know, they're, they're we're all trying to make it, you know, uh, but I don't think the vast majority make a lot of money. Uh, they're, they're they're working hard. They're lean. They're 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 sacrificing. Uh, other, you know, parts of their lives often, uh, certainly spending a lot of time to try to, I see the example of pushing a boulder up a hill, you know, and, and, and after a while, maybe, you know, you get a bit of momentum and maybe the hill flattens and, you know, and then suddenly things are rolling. But, um, but that's, yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that really is the case, you know, and that's why as a coach, I often say, you know, people go out, you know, I'm, I'm, if they're in small business or they want to go into business or they're even wanting to go in real estate. I always remember this many years ago, somebody asked me, they said, Patrick, how many hours a week do you work? And it actually stopped me. And I went, I don't know, because I don't even think about it that way. I've been so blessed, I think. And it's, you know, I have moments of time where I go, screw it. I'm going to sell it all for a buck. But you know, that's not the, you know, that's, that's rare. And it's, that's a frustrating day, but ultimately I've never looked at how many hours in a week I work. I'm always working and it's what I love to do. And I have to actually train myself to, to stop thinking about it, take a break. I have actually have to force myself to do that. So when you're, when you're actually doing something you love to do, it doesn't feel like work. So you're not counting the hours. If you're counting the hours, you're in trouble. You know, if I counted the hours, I'd probably make about four bucks an hour, I think. So, you know, ultimately, you know, we're always on as entrepreneurs and, and, and that's not for everybody because with that comes inherent risks, you know, financial risks. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, we talk about COVID and, uh, you know, I look at <laughs> one of the businesses I own in Edmonton is retail and I've got one of the stores shut down. I mean, it's like totally shut down. And in the meantime, I'm still carrying the cost of that business and all of the things that go with it. So where am I going with that? So the point is, is that, you know, from a Canadian economy, we look at SMEs and we know they're important. We know that COVID's created a, a real challenge and uh, it really is important for our leaders of this world. And I'm not just talking about government leaders. I'm talking about business leaders. Uh, you know, in the rain community, we talk about leadership within uh, your own, your your immediate circle of, of influence. People are looking for leadership. So I think you would agree. And whether it's your family, your friends, your workmates, not everybody is built to have a mindset that leads. You know, you you know goes back to where we started in the conversation. You know, you were born lucky, but that's an attitude. And and looking at COVID and saying this is a crisis where I need to be a critical thinker and and lead. That's an attitude, but not everybody has that attitude. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, there are many things in there. I, I wanted to react on the uh, sort of the culture of entrepreneurship uh, and what some people call intrapreneurship. I mean, these are buzzwords, but ultimately they mean the same thing. Earlier, you talked about um, academia and how you know people come out of, let's say, the academic cycle uh, and, um, and and don't necessarily understand what a business actually, you know, what it is, how it works. I actually think that we we have to teach entrepreneurship, and I, I'm not inventing anything here. I mean, again, I hear this from a lot of accomplished leaders. I, I do believe it too. We need to teach an entrepreneur 
uh, sorry, an entrepreneurial culture in school, I would say it starts at kindergarten. It starts as early as possible. Now, it's not trying to say that everyone has to be a business owner or everyone has to even work for a, what people imagine as a capitalistic business. You know, uh, you could be uh, running a charity uh, where the goal is clearly not to make profit, but to help a specific issue in your community or, or another one. But I think an entrepreneurial culture means that people can take initiative, well, can have an idea, in fact, even have someone else's idea, uh, but want to do something out of it. So it's, for me, it's a combination of creativity and then sort of transformation, right? It's, it's having an idea in your mind, perhaps articulating it or having someone else articulate it, but then it's about taking that idea into a reality and hopefully a success and there's all kinds of metrics for that. But I think that's, that's a valuable value, even valuable value. Uh, that, that, that should be instilled at the youngest age possible. It's you can do something in your life, do something with a business, do something with something that you maybe imagine and want to build and, and do something by helping others, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and hopefully in the process, I think, you know, we are still ego driven, all of us. I don't think you can deny that. Make something of yourself in the process. So all that to say, I think we need to teach entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism. <laughs> I don't even know the name, but uh, I think that would be would be extremely useful in, in our societies. And I don't know that why some societies might be more might be better at it than others. I, I don't necessarily think it's because government came in and supported it. I mean, it helps, but there is something else. Um, you mentioned immigrants. I think it's also important to recognize. Uh, and again, I don't have the exact stats, but I'm, uh, I, I've read it before that uh, immigrants are, uh, immigrants are often very good entrepreneurs. Very good. You know, because I, I don't know why. My analysis would be that already just to come from usually across the pond, across the Atlantic, or or or, or you know, because we don't really think about the U.S. or Americans. We think about perhaps Mexicans, Latin Americans, Africans, Asians, etc. Coming all the way here, I mean, I guess you already have to have a seed of that entrepreneurial culture, you know, to even have the idea and, and, and do it, you know, and especially if you're taking your whole family, moving a family across, across an ocean is, 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 a, is a business venture in and of itself. That, uh, you know, when I, when I think about immigration and I think about as Canadians in general, I, and I, and I, and the big, I, I'm not painting anybody with a brush, but you know, you hear some complaints about immigration and you hear about the borders being too open and I'm not getting into that discussion or that argument, but I, I, I will say that you have to admire the many immigrants that are willing to leave their, their country, their home to bring their family to this place they've never been before. And, uh, you know, maybe limited funds to do anything and they're landing and going, holy cow, we got to pull this off. I mean, there's a lot of that that goes on. And in as much as Canada is, is great in, in that support and we can complain about that, it's something that Canada needs in terms of, uh, you know, growing an economy and keeping a country rolling and a, a special small country like uh, Canada. Now, I want to go off on a different tangent here, uh, Flo. And, and I mean, you interview a lot of great leaders. I mean, you've uh, a, a lot of them. And when you're having conversations with the leaders of today and the businesses that you're having discussions around, 
and we look at what's happening economically right now, given COVID and lockdowns and not lockdowns and where it will go in the next two to three years. What are you seeing? Are you seeing confidence? Are you seeing total confusion and uncertainty? Is somewhere in between? What's the difference in some of the conversations that you're having? What are you noticing about some of the leaders versus other leaders? Is there, is it, is there a, a pattern or is there something that you're observing? It's a great question. Uh, I have to preface by saying that we've only done, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe maybe 15, 20 interviews since COVID because you know we are a business, a small business. Uh, and when we entered this, uh, this, this crisis, which I would say you know was roughly March, when it really started to sink in that this was a real thing and it was going to have an impact on everything else, you know, of course we had our own concerns. Of course we had to ask big questions. You know, we, we rely on sponsors, uh, uh, you know, and also on, uh, you know, our content is what it, what distinguishes it is that it's very long-term focused, medium to long-term. So in other words, we're not focused on the news cycle. We're not talking about the latest listing or the latest political or government program or decision or you know, or something that happens in abroad, or I mean, we of course we we're we're keen observers of it, but our shtick, our voice, ultimately, the the kind of questions we ask are all about where are we now and what what does the future look like, and so something like COVID, which at least at the very beginning anchors you in the present, that in and of itself was a challenge for us, and we created a new series called the COVID nineteen Rebound, where we interviewed leaders. A lot of them in the health sector, thanks to our uh, sponsorship from Genome Canada. But uh, but also we interviewed the CEO of Shell Canada, for instance, Michael Crothers. Uh, it was the second time I interviewed him. And of course, we talked about COVID-19. We've also interviewed um, one of the VPs at uh, Export Development Canada to talk about specifically you know, what this crisis means for our entrepreneurs. So we have a little bit of, of, um, of an idea. Um, I have to think about you know what really is the most... Uh, interesting there. I think that the most interesting first is that the vast majority of the people we speak to are entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial. And I would include in that some of the researchers of the Genome Canada Network we have interviewed. Because being a researcher is, 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 is searching, is, is trying. And so those are definitely entrepreneurial people, no question about it in my mind, even if they're not ultimately driving or, or you know, creating a business around their, their invention or their their results of their research. So I would say that the people we interview are generally entrepreneurial. And that means that they have, uh, one, a certain character around dealing with uncertainty. Um, I like to think that we always had a lot of uncertainty. Somehow now, if we look back with the COVID lens, you know, we say, oh my God, there is so much uncertainty in the world and the economy and our health and Will there be a vaccine or not? And when? And how these things are going to play? But really, if you think about it, six months or a year ago, did we really know much more about the future? I don't think so. Clearly, we didn't know this was going to happen. I mean, you never really know. And therefore, my point is to say that the entrepreneurs we speak to, most of them are entrepreneurs, they know that things are going to happen. And they're very good at, at adapting to different situations. You know, it's about being aspirational, about seeing opportunities in challenges. It's about, yeah, taking chances. It's about uh, resiliency and all those things, I think, position entrepreneurs favorably in a crisis like the one we're experiencing right now. 
The other thing, and it comes from the specifically from the, the CEO at Shell Canada, Michael Crothers. Uh, obviously, he leads a uh, you know the Canadian branch of a one of the Canada one of the world's largest companies, Shell. Um, he really spent a bunch of time to talk about community, talk about the impact a company like that has in its community, which in, in their case, and especially in Alberta, but in other parts of Canada, is obviously going to be outsized. So he talked about programs they put in place to help you know, communities, feed communities. They have a network of gas stations. And so those are places where people can easily come to and you know, perhaps be given you know, even a sandwich. I mean, things like that. And I, I thought that was really important because a, a company is more than just a profit-making machine. I, I, the other thing I often remind myself of and, and others, company means people together. You know, uh, the exact definition is probably slightly different, but it's ultimately, you know, people getting together. That's what a company means. So, so a company is people. And so they have to be at the center of any decisions, whether it's your employees, whether it's your, your, your shareholders, there are people too, even if we love to hate them <laughs> by jealousy, probably, but whether it's your, your suppliers, your clients, et cetera. So, so I think um, it's been nice to hear the CEO of a large company, large Canadian and international company, talk about the importance of participating in the community that we're ultimately benefiting from and active in. And, and other than that, I was finished by saying that no one knows what the future is going to bring. I mean, that, as I said earlier, I think it was obvious before. It's even more obvious now. Um, we have to recognize, I think, that we're lucky to be in Canada and not in number of other countries. Uh, I think we have to be grateful for what we have, again, in Canada. And, and I really, as a European in Canada for eight years now, have really learned to appreciate Canadian leadership. I think it's, I would define it as values-based. And again, it doesn't apply to everyone. And, and there are some rotten apples in the mix, there's no question. But generally, I would say Canadian leaders, from my experience here again, you know, asking for interviews from people that are very busy, that have a lot of other things to do, that have probably better or more important platforms or people to speak to than, than me and the future economy.ca. People are responsive, people are generous, uh, people are they, are, they have a lot of integrity, I find, you know. And I therefore think, to finish off, this positions Canada quite favorably in the current environment. The fact that we have good governance, I'm not speaking politically, but good governance. We have great infrastructure in place, education, health, et cetera. Uh, and the fact that we have, um, yeah, we have great people, you know, whether they are uh, indigenous Canadians with great, you know, ancestral wisdoms to, that we should uh, really pay attention to, whether they are, you know, immigrant Canadians, which is everyone else, <laughs> uh, or whether including me when I become Canadian. Or whether there are recent immigrants who, as we said earlier, you know, bring a lot of value and a lot of grit and uh, and, and culture uh, to the mix. You know, it's interesting that when we look at what's going on, and like you, I think Canada is amazing. Um, you know, I'm given what Rain does in looking at the you know the economics of what what's happening globally, and certainly you know like that macro, and then even regionally and you know, as I sit today looking outside of what's happening in Canada, because we're at the effect of, of course, our neighbors to the uh, to the south, but we're at the effect of China, we're at the effect, you know, at this point, I mean, with COVID and what's going on, there's a lot of 
challenges ahead. There's a lot of things that we need to really have our eyes open around, that there are some certainly some you know, very real concerns that we're uncertain about. But having said all of that, there's not a country I'd rather be in than Canada, given what's happening globally. And uh, are we at the effect of that? You know, absolutely. Will we be facing some challenges? Absolutely. But to your point, I think that we've got some strong leaders. You know, those individuals who are taking the time to have a conversation with you or to, you know, to your point about uh, your the CEO of Shell and the conversation you're having with him and him looking at community. Uh, you know, there's there's a fundamental that I see around Canadians overall, and that is is that most it is values-based. And those values are around contribution. Those values are around supporting. I mean, you look at provincially and you look at any given city and, you know, there's a, there's a call to something. You know, somebody's in trouble or something has happened. There's been a... a a disaster, and I go back to you know the the forest fires of of uh, of Fort McMurray as a, as a recent example that comes to mind. But there's floods and there's fires, and and at any and and in every case, you know the community rallies, and and lots of those uh, corporations step up, and they do get to be a contribution and make a difference in the community, and that's a wonderful thing about Canada. Now. We live in Canada, so we we bitch about it because that's the nature. It's like we talk about weather and we complain about it. But weather's just weather. The weather doesn't give a shit if you're mad at it, you know. But we, as humans, <laughs> we want to complain about something. We want to point at the flaws, and and that's just an interesting part of about being uh, about being human. But I want to go back, you know, in your case, in your case, Florent, you you've traveled the world. You know, you you came to Canada, but take me back in kind of your journey, you know, your mom, uh, you said was Dutch, your dad was uh, from France. Yeah. They from, still are. They still are. So, you know, take me back a little bit, you know, growing up, where do you sit in the family pecking order? Are you a uh, middle son? Are you, you know, firstborn? Are you, uh, you know, the golden child? Where are you in all of this? Well, that, that's a little bit of a, of a long bit. So you might want to edit it, you know, <laughs> a little further in the conversation. I did want to give a shout out uh, in particular, and it pertains back to what we were talking about before around Canadian values. Mm. Just want to make a quick point. First of all, I think let's not be too um, too too narrow-minded. I mean, the values that underpin Canada's economy—that's my belief—are ultimately the same core values that the whole world, in one way, shape, or form, has. You know, uh, uh, you know, family, love, uh, taking care of others. Uh, all those things, whether they're exactly called values or not, but you know what I mean. Like they're essentially the same. But in Canada, I think the difference is that our leaders generally espouse them. We don't have the same degree of, I think, corruption scandals. I mean, I say that, and I know there's been some recently, but 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 overall, I feel like it's not as bad and as in many other places. And I think that's important. And and the shout out is to one of our one of the FutureEconomy.ca's partner. Uh, called Canadian Business for Social Responsibility, CBSR. It's a, a Torontonian called uh, Leo Rothschild who moved to Calgary, fell in love and stayed there. And he's, uh, his organization is also a lot around energy and resources, which I mentioned a lot of those examples because we have done a lot of interviews around energy and resources. It's obviously a, a very big and critical sector of Canada's economy. They ran a campaign that started about a year ago and still runs called Doing Business Like a Canadian. Mm. And I think that's a very smart... Leo coined that, that expression. 
a very smart campaign because one, it questions us all. What does it mean to do business like a Canadian? Now, again, I'm a Gemini, so I always have two perspectives on things and I'm going to say, you know, it could be doing business like an American, doing business like a, like a Uruguayan. It doesn't matter. You know, but but in in the context of Canada, what does it mean to us? What are those values that we want to one recognize, two build on, and then three also promote? You know, and 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 so to finish on that little rant, perhaps positive rant. You know, one of our biggest uh, uh, sponsors for the Future Economy is Invest in Canada. Another shout out because they're they're really a great new organization. For, we're very grateful to have them support some of our work. Um, Ian McKay, CEO, writes pieces on, on, on LinkedIn often, and he often talks about how attractive Canada is to foreigners. And that's, that's, that's a fact. You know, we are attractive for students in normal times, of course. Uh, as some people say, BC before COVID. Uh, but I, think, I still think we're attractive. We'll just have to see how it plays out. To students, to professionals, for companies who want to, you know, set up in, in North America. Of course, the U.S. remains very attractive, but in recent times, we've seen that, by contrast, Toronto, for instance, is kind of becoming the new Silicon Valley. Um, not that it should be exactly a Silicon Valley, but we're, we're attractive. So, so I think recognizing, you know, our values and, and celebrating them, promoting them, building on them is, is really important. So I just wanted to to share that point first. But uh, yeah, and I love that perspective. I'm glad that you uh, that you pointed it out again because we can get caught up in what's happening in this moment and you know then we paint it with this kind of negative brush. And I say we and and I'm talking about it in general terms and given what's going on, right? So um so no, I appreciate that you point that out because I think it's a good reminder for everybody that you know, we live in we don't have a perspective outside. So unless you're very well traveled, unless like yourself, uh, you know, somebody like yourself where you're, you're actually came to Canada and you have a different perspective, you know, it, it really is, you know, and, and as many do, many don't, and we can get caught up in being critical of Canada and our politics and, 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 and then, okay. Yeah. Uh, be in Lebanon right now you know, <laughs> exactly. right. And aside from, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the explosion, the politics that go in behind it is just, it's actually, it's mine. It's shockingly mind blowing or it, you know, it's, it, it's just beyond comprehension, you know, just how safe Canada is. And, and, and as much as we bitch about our governments, any government, by the way, uh, that's, it's like the weather, uh, we need to complain about it. <laughs> Ultimately we're in pretty good shape. Okay. So let's go back. I still want to know about your journey and how you got to where you are because uh, you've done some really, really amazing things in your life. You've, like I say, you've traveled the world. But take me back a little bit to, you know, attitude. Where did you know? Where did that form? So I will start with, you know, what the hell happened as a kid? Did you? They drop you on your head? Did they? You know, were your parents <laughs> entrepreneurs? Like, how is it that Ferrant came to be the individual that you are? And and leading the life that you lead? Well, as I said at the beginning, I mean, it's for me, it's, I, I don't know, I'm maybe just not used to it, but uh, speaking about myself is a little, uh, is, is a little uncomfortable, but I'll do my best. I mean, I think I start by saying that um, no, no one in my family is, at least in my, none of my parents and their new partners are the, you know, the standard definition of an entrepreneur. However, I think they're all quite entrepreneurial. 
back to my earlier point. And that is, uh, my dad is uh, my dad was a, a lawyer all of his career. And when he retired, he, he just quickly realized that retirement wasn't for him. And then he went and did some exams. And in France, if you've been a lawyer for at least 20 years, which was his case, you can uh, apply to become a judge. And so my dad is 72 and he's now a judge. And so I guess being a lawyer for one is a tough job, uh, you know, and so there's a certain degree of uh, entrepreneurialism in there. Uh, he had his own practice as well. So uh, again, that's running a business, including, you know, the, the financial nuts and bolts of that, people and, and you know, et cetera, clients. Um, and then becoming a judge in your, in your mid-60s, going through exams and basically, you know, as you put it to me, I'm a, I'm a 65-year-old trainee. <laughs> but you know, I, I want to just interject there a little bit. Yeah. I, the reason I love this story, so keep in mind, you know, here, Flo, is that my goal around the podcast always yeah. was to give people a different perspective, to teach, to have people understand what it takes sometimes to be successful. And, and I, I, I'm actually trying to eliminate the word successful out of my vocabulary. I just haven't, <laughs> I haven't replaced it yet because success is so subjective and it's, you know, lead, what, what lead a life that you find meaningful about that. Exactly. Well, yeah. And you, sure. That's perfect. That's a, that's a great, that's better than the word success right now. And, and hopefully others do too. <laughs> it pisses me off. Like I, I, cause I know I use it and yet I have a view of success that, you know, is, is really starting to, you know, I'm, I'm confused by it right now. And I see what's happening in social media and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, well, I digress. That, that tells me that you have an open mind, my friend. And, and I do too. <laughs> and, and never asking yourself anything, always being too sure. I don't think it's the right, uh, the right approach. Uh, you look at your father and this is such an important one. This is what I got. I'm 62 years old. And, you know, there's, uh, I sometimes struggle with, some of the people that I that I know that are my age or marginally older or even marginally younger that are, you know, they're financially, they're kicking back, they've got their, you know, they got it handled, they're not, and I'm going, I almost sometimes make myself wrong for wanting to continue to do what I do because I freaking love what I do. I am on the Freedom 95 plan because I have no intentions of ever stopping doing some version of what I'm doing. And as long as I can be a contribution, as long as I can have significance, as long as I can help and support people in living an amazing life and living their best life, I'm fired up. Now, you share a story about your dad, which I think is freaking amazing. You know, becoming a judge is a is a real milestone. I mean, it's that's a bar. Okay, you're that's a good pun, by the way. It's a bar. It's a bar. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize I gave it, but there you go. It is a bar. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know whatever opinion people have of judges, I, I don't want to get into that. I mean, to become a judge is a statement of I believe character, aside from intelligence or whatever else might go with that. I mean, you don't take on that lightly. And so I admire it. That's all I've got to say about that, really, is that it's a permission for guys at my age to go, no, I don't have to freaking fall into some other world. And, and it's, it's just a funny discussion that I have with myself sometimes, you know? You can basically wait three years and then still start something. <laughs> exactly. Completely new or on a different level. Yeah. So cool. Just, yeah. But there you go. So there's a, there's a, a, you know, when you look at what your dad is, uh, you know, it has done and, and, you know, doing what he did. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got, you know, you've got quite the, uh, 
I don't know if we call it, you know, the role model, if you will, of uh, what you can achieve. So that already is a, in, in my world is a bit of a statement of where you, where you get to set your bar when you've got a role model like your father. And, and, and I, I want to hear a little bit about your mom as well, but tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so what I would say about the father is that I don't think I've ever perceived it as, oh, I'm going to be a businessman because my father is, I don't really see my dad as a businessman, but, but, but you're right. He sort of set the bar. Obviously being a judge is, it's a prestigious role. It's a lot of responsibilities. I'll just say quickly, of course, I know the reputation of judges and I, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm the first to criticize it too. But what I do know as well is that it's very tough. It's very, very tough. You have to dig very deep to make very, very important decisions on, on other people's lives. Uh, and also there's a lot of horror stories that I will share, but that my dad has occasionally shared because I, I don't actually talk about his work a lot. But uh, it's, it's really tough sometimes even just to, 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 to let go some of the things you're confronted with. So, um, so there's that. Uh, then there is, um, so my mom, uh, when she was 19, uh, lived in Holland. My parents, literally, my father grew up in France, my mother in Holland. And so when my mom was 19, she had a, an affinity with languages. She had learned French. She was interested in tourism. And so Paris was a nice, logical, I guess, attractive place to go to. And so she moved to France to become au pair, to learn French and study and so on and so forth. And uh, that's how she met my dad. But again, in and of itself, at 19 years old, so she would, that would have been in 1970, to go from uh, Holland to France at 19 years old, you know, um, that's, that's entrepreneurial, you know? And so there is, there is that as well, that sort of openness to go and do something else, move. My mom ultimately moved back to Holland after 30 years. And then her and her new husband, my, my stepfather moved to the U S 10 years ago. So, cause he's American. I mean, so I guess that's a, there, there's some kind of open-mindedness there. Um, on your question around siblings, that's funny um, and, a, and a hair complicated. So my parents had me, um, and, and so I'm a lonely child from my two parents. But perhaps luckily, because I don't know, sometimes being a lonely child can be, you know, can be a bit challenging later in life. My mom married this American guy, and he already had two sons who are three and eight years older than me. Uh, and so I suddenly had two older brothers that I didn't really know, got to know later and, you know, all kinds of adventures there. Uh, and then they had a daughter, uh, and that's my sister who lives in South Korea, as I mentioned here for years now. And she's a lawyer too, by the way. Uh, and she's great. Of course, I, I love her to bits and, you know, she's, uh, she's, uh, got a great open mind and great character and, and so on and so forth. And my dad remarried too, and also had a daughter. And so I have two stepbrothers and two half sisters. And that half-sister lives in Paris and she works in uh, sort of digital media and marketing. I don't even really understand it, but she's, uh, she's quite the character too. And she's probably the one who's the most similar to me. She's the most, I would say, extroverted. Uh, she has quite the character, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I guess, I guess the, the benefit of having ultimately four siblings ranging between eight years older than me and seven years younger than me with me in the middle I think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, if I look at my life later, I usually break it down like this. You know, I grew up in a, ultimately in a big family. In French, you would say recomposed family. Uh, then I went to boarding school at 16. And so there's community there again, you know. Not everyone is going to take your crap all the time. You're not that special at every minute. You know, we're living together. You need to deal with others. And whether it's share a, a dorm or, 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 you know, have one toilet for five dudes or <laughs> all those things I think are important to build character, you know. Uh, living in a community and then moving to Holland to study at, at 19 to go to the hotel school, The Hague, which is a business school applied to the hotel industry, 
where the first year was on campus and you share a room with a guy who happened to have become one of my very best friends and living in what they used to call hotels. So sort of little compounds with multiple units. Uh, Again, a lot of community there, you know. Uh, I think think those are some of the things that have shaped my life the most is, is being around others. You know, yes, it's important to feel special. I started by saying that and to feel like you can you can make your life special, but it's also important, I think, to be put back in your place. And it's certainly been useful to me uh, at varying times of my life. Now, when you were young growing up, I mean, with your parents' background and, you know, their propensity, or at least your mom's propensity to travel, were you as a kid driven to say, you know, to look beyond the borders and and say, you know, mom, dad, I want to, I'm thinking about living there. I want to go there. I want to go there. Were they... Were they supportive of that? Or did they go, you know, the, the world's your oyster and go? Yeah, it's, it's definitely more the latter. I love that question because it's an opportunity for me to express my gratitude for my mom. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a second. But yeah, I mean, growing up in France, France, is, as you know, is a country with a very strong identity. And so initially for me, having a mom with a foreign name and a foreign accent, having a stepdad with a, granted he's American, but he's of Finnish descent, having a, he had, the name, his, his family name on the front door, you know, very symbolic, you know? And so obviously he was very proud of that. But, but for me growing up as a kid, I was a little uncomfortable around that, you know, because when you're a kid, you just want to be the same as everyone else. You know, you only realize later how valuable that exposure, that difference is. Right. But anyway, all that to say that, um, that, uh, that, 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 that yes, of course, growing up, so while I was growing up in France, a country with a very strong identity, growing up in a family where it was French, Dutch, American with a Finnish background. I've been to Finland as well at two, at three, at four, every summer for a few years. Uh, and, and traveling to Holland regularly because we have family there. My mom had her parents there until maybe half a decade ago. And so, um, and so of course, I think that, I don't know that you realize it. I don't know that it's verbalized as the world is your oyster. You can go where you want. I don't think that was the case. But we were going to Holland, to Finland. My stepdad was from the U.S. I, I didn't go to the U.S. until I was, I think, 20. But, you know, my stepbrothers were because they were American and it was their father and they had their aunts and uncles there. And so just all of that, I think, for sure opens your mind. You know, for sure it does. And so the shout out to my mom is with all of that, 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 that background, that baggage in some cases, you know, I wasn't a, a great student in my high school years. I, I was happy to be in boarding school to leave the family home, which was complicated. And I guess I wanted to do my own thing and be a bit of distance myself a little bit, even though I love my family. And, um, and, and so I turned 18, I think. And my mom said, you know, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get your, your baccalaureate, your high school diploma in, in, in six months or something. Or have you thought about what you're going to do next? You know, and my answer would have probably been something along the lines of, huh, what? but uh but then she said you know i mean you could go and study in holland for example we have family there that was a huge eye-opening moment in my life you know uh it was just oh yeah oh i could do that i could actually go to another country and then we actually considered the uk because of you know its education system and i already spoke english but you know for whatever reason we ended up choosing holland but um, so yeah, I, the shout out is definitely, that's one of the things I'm the most grateful to my mom uh, for other than, than, than making me, uh, is, is opening my mind to that opportunity because then, you know, the rest, Holland, uh, moved to Southeast Asia, Africa, came to Canada via uh, Calgary, Vancouver, now here. And my wife and I 
often talk about, yeah, maybe we'll move to France at some point. It's a great country, you know. We just want to have enough enough money and you know to and have a business plan to to be able to to make the to make the the crossing. But um, I connect this your question with entrepreneurship. You know, I'm, I'm on this um, upcoming Startup Canada panel uh, for Quebec on uh, on basically entrepreneurs going global. Sorry if I forgot the title, but. And I, I definitely think, I, I mean, I, that's what I said at the beginning of this conversation, being born lucky. I'm lucky to have this multicultural background of parents who spoke different languages and had funny names and took me to other places. And that, that's, there's a lot of luck there. But I do think that in Canada, you know, we have a lot of different cultures within Canada. You know, one sector we're talking right now about, about promoting internally, we're thinking about ways to do that is to promote tourism, national tourism get people to travel from Vancouver to Montreal. you got to see Montreal to appreciate it. Oh, I love and for Montreal. Montrealers to travel to the Rockies and spend a few nights in Calgary or Edmonton and, and go and experience firsthand how welcoming people are, how you know, no-nonsense they are, and uh, how beautiful, of course, the, the, the city and the nature are. So exposing yourself whichever way you can. Not everybody has a multicultural family. A lot of Canadians do, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would encourage any Canadian who's from, let's say, Ukraine... Uh, India or or Uruguay, who is not really connected to their home country or to their family's home country because they they're born here and just like me growing up, maybe they haven't wanted to feel different. To really embrace that, to go there once you can, to 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 connect with your community because it's yeah, it opens your mind. Anything that opens your mind, you know, uh, is is usually important. And 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 to tie that with entrepreneurship it's going to be very helpful. Like for me right now, speaking several languages, I can't tell you how often it has served me. When I got to Calgary and you know, the CEO of Total was French, uh, Shell is a Dutch company. I'm able even just to say that I'm Dutch. Uh, uh, there were people from, from Germany. I spoke a bit of Spanish. I connected with the, uh, the I think it's called the Alberta, uh, sorry, the Canadian Council for the Americas, I think it's called. I mean, sometimes even, even being able to say hello you know, I was thinking of a few thoughts for this podcast. And one was, in every country where I've traveled to and lived in, one of my initial top priorities was to learn how to greet people and say 10 words within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And very often, I haven't learned much more than that. Hello. Thank you. How are you? Food? Good. Thank you. Yeah. Where can I get a beer? <laughs> yeah, where can I you get know? a beer? That, that one's yeah, on the top of the list. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, really, how far that goes, because then people go, oh, you... It's a form of, of, of respect, of appreciation for other people's culture. Once you've passed that, even if you can't say more, you've already built some kind of rapport. And that's, I think, is very important. End of rant. That was really, <laughs> really good. Um, as we start to wind down the, the show front... Really? We have to go? We, well, you know, we could keep going. But bef- as we do wind down, I, I ask the question of you as I'm listening is that, you know, the first question I wanted to ask you was if you look at the futureeconomy.ca and uh, I mean, you've been around, you guys have been doing what you've been doing for three years. You've got the vision that you've got. If you look into the future five years and you, you know, you look at five years down the road, 2025, what does the futureeconomy.ca have to have achieved to say that you're successful? Well, first of all, the futureeconomy.ca is actually the second or you could say the third iteration of the same business in Canada and in fact created in the UK in 2010, if my memory serves me well. So it's a decade. 
Um, so you could say we're, we're a 10-year 10 10 startup. Sure. Uh, and like anything else, we've iterated multiple times, adapted. Uh, we were in Calgary during the oil crisis. And so that was obviously very tough. But I, I do think we've added a lot of value there, learned a ton, and certainly learned to appreciate the, the people there too. But um, what's in the future? Well, you know, we're the future economy.ca. I often joke when I interview people that this interview is all going to be about predicting the future. You know, I don't know how comfortable that makes people. But I have no clue what's in the future. Uh, and I have a, not a lot of idea about what direction the organization will have taken five years from now, especially in the current context. What I can say is that, uh, one, we're very happy, grateful, excited to be where we are because as I guess most entrepreneurs will will say, you know, it hasn't always been easy. And, and, and when friends of mine, you know, they see what, what we have and they try to suggest that we're very lucky that all that happened to us. I, I <laughs> make sure to quickly remind them that it didn't happen by itself. You yeah, know, yeah. That, uh, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of uh, believing in yourself and really frankly, rolling up your your, your sleeves and uh, being resilient, bold, taking chances. I mean, it's, it's not easy. So I mean, and, you've, and, you've created an amazing platform for entrepreneurs to, and leaders to show up and to speak. I think it's it's an incredible platform. It's a form. The yeah. way I see it is it's a form that is apolitical, that is constructive. By constructive, I mean positive, but at the same time, not afraid of being critical. So we're not there to bash politicians, to bash individuals, companies, practices. We're there to promote conversation on how to improve, on how to build a stronger uh, Canada that can add more value in the in the world, because that, back to the values, we believe that, you know, in many cases, I, I know I would rather have Canada lead, you know, resource development, lead ethical artificial intelligence, lead, you know, health research, et cetera, than, than many other countries. I mean, there's a lot of other great countries, let's be clear, but, but in the Canadian context, I'd rather it be Canada than, than certainly many others, including some that are close by. The future, I, I don't know. I think um, I think there's a, a few different ways that this business can can build out. We have organized real life events before and enjoyed that a lot. We're very happy we're not doing this right now. Uh, and I, I send a lot of uh, compassion and uh, and uh, and positive thoughts to my friends in uh, in, in in the events business, uh, as well as in the tourism business and, and retail and many others. But um, but I think organizing real life events, in other words, fora for people to get together and discuss the future economy is a very natural thing to, you know, it's, I mean, it's all content ultimately, you know, whether it's digital, whether it's print, whether it's an event, it's, it's ultimately the same. It's producing content conversation. So I think that's a natural fit. I don't know what else, you know, we still, we still feel like we have a lot to improve on, on, on the model right now, on what we're doing right now. You know, we want to, we want to personalize our brand. We want to make it more relatable. We want to, we want to. We're going more multimedia, so you know we've done a few podcasts, uh, not as well as you, uh, but we're doing video interviews now. That's very similar, and we enjoy that, and we can see the pickup on video content. You know, we want to add value for Canada, and uh, and and I think just bringing the people we bring together, and 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 probably broadening a bit. We'd like to have more youth thought leadership. We'd like to have more uh, what people are calling BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color leaders. You know, which isn't always easy because if you're just purely looking at the CEOs or the top leader of any organization in Canada, they're, they're clearly underrepresented. But, but we know we want to do more of that because, you know, their voice is important because it's, because it's, um, because, because, you know, 
I know I just interviewed the, the president of the uh, Canadian Black Chamber of Commerce. And one of the things that I've started to integrate is the fact that diversity and inclusion isn't just the right thing to do. It's, it also pays off. It's also a business imperative, you know, because that's the way the society is. It's diverse and hopefully inclusive. And so businesses that want to cater to that society, to that market in business terms, if they're not diverse, how, how can they properly cater to, 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 to that market? So all that to say that we, wanna, we want more diversity. I think we've done very well with, with indigenous uh, thought leadership, you know, through different partnerships and, and content we've produced. But I'd like to see that. Yeah, and just we'll have to go with it. You, you know? got to go with it. What is your, where is your business going to be in five years? Oh man, we're changing, you know, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. We're, uh, you know, we're definitely taking on a digital platform in a big way. And the, the beautiful part about rain is the fact that we get to support people in creating a financial future for themselves. And right now we use the, you know, we use the platform of real estate because we, we believe in it. We know that real estate in fact does work. But also that entrepreneurial component of it. And, you know, for from our perspective, we've always looked into the future, saw that, you know, a digital and virtual platform was really the way to expand and to grow and to get the message out there even more. And as we go virtual, we also realize that as a research company, as an education uh, business, as a solution provider for investors that being business owners, being entrepreneurs, being those individuals that are rental housing providers can really make a difference in a community, in a neighborhood. And they make a difference to the economy. And as we, you know, continue to grow, you know, the executive team gets really fired up about good content. You know, we don't have an agenda. We we actually don't have an agenda to sell real estate, which is very, very different in this industry. And some will say, well, yeah, you have an educate, you know, you have the agenda of selling education. And yes, we do. And that's the business model, you know, but we believe and we, you know, have a track record for providing huge value for the education and the research, you know. And, and when I became a part of the RAIN community 20 years ago, I actually said, I don't care if I never bought another piece of real estate, I would be a member of this community for the research and the understanding of what's going on economically. And I believe to this day that Don R. Campbell, who's, you know, one of the original founders and a good friend of mine, you know, he really was the catalyst for changing the conversation. So when I look at the vision of the business as the owner and the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network, I look into a, a very, very strong future over the years of the difference that we can make to so many individuals and organizations in not only the research we provide, but the education that we provide. Because I believe, given what's happening with COVID, that people need to secure their financial future different than just having the traditional job. And you know, we call it a side hustle, maybe. But listen, we know that that's the contribution that we can be. If I can add one thing, which basically echoes what you're saying, but in the context of, of our business, the Future Economy CA, um, first of all, very much support, and and I think I think it's a big value add for your business as it is for ours, that there isn't sort of a singular uh, and often self-serving or interested kind of mission. You know, Ultimately, our mission, as I said, is to promote Canada's economy, to promote Canada's future leadership, uh, to promote uh, you know, our entrepreneurs, our Indigenous entrepreneurs, our innovators, our academic leaders, um, you know, to 
to yeah to promote a better future of Canada's economy for everyone involved in Canada and even outside of Canada. I know it sounds a bit maybe woo, woo but I, I really mean that. And um, and and with that, I also have to say that um, that we're extremely grateful to the people who support us, especially financially, but not only. So our 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 sponsors, our partners, who help us in multiple ways, including uh, you know amplifying our content or suggesting suggesting topics. Like our business depends on that support, you know, and that's that's also true to what it is. It's a forum. It's a, it's sort of a hub, you know. It's not we are not talking about the future economy.ca just like you know you mentioned rain here and there as an example, but it, we're looking at the bigger picture, you know. We're looking at something that's bigger than us and that's bigger than any of the people or even the organize the, the the large organizations I mentioned. Shell or Genome Canada, those are big institutions. Ultimately, the subject matter is bigger than than all of that, and I think that's hugely rewarding. And but I do want to yeah express a lot of gratitude to some of our sponsors. I've mentioned them: Invest in Canada, Genome Canada, BDC, TD Bank, uh, the Canadian Business Growth Fund, very much entrepreneurship focused, uh, the Indigenomics Institute. I mean, I could go on and on, and I'll, I'll stop there. But but just to say that. Um, yeah, it's 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 their support, financial or otherwise, that allows uh, what we're trying to do, and it's great because again, it's not about us, it's not about our platform, it's about the contribution you get to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Front, we could freaking talk all day. No, I'm done. I have nothing else. I'm giving you everything. You've given it all. That's all you got. Okay, well that's good. There's a little bit <laughs> more. <laughs> in uh, in uh, the Everyday Millionaire podcast tradition, we end up with a couple of rapid fire questions to wind the interview down. There's but, more. Oh my oh, god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ready? Yeah. Give me give me a book that you're reading that you uh, really had a big impact on your life. Maybe one that you you know that you give as a gift. But what what is a book that you really really dig? Can I give three? Sure. Richard Branson's first biography, uh, and sadly I forget forget there. It's, I've read both the first one and the last one, but it was the first one. Uh, I think it's um, Finding My Virginity or something like that. Um, that's really a great book, and it's a very entertaining ride. And yeah, a great guy, great story. That had a big impact for sure on me from an entrepreneurship point of view. The second one is uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah. Uh, I've read a lot of self-help books, but that one is really well-structured, articulated. It, That's a it, Bible. It, That's a it's Bible. a Bible. Yeah. And, and I, I still, I'll spend my life trying to really apply all the precepts. But, uh, but there are certainly things there that, that were very, very useful. And the third one is a great book I read very recently uh, called The Polymath. Mm. And which has everything to do with our polymathic nature, which means that we are basically all, we all have multiple interests, multiple talents. We're not single, you know, you're not just a real estate expert, period. You know, you might be interested in sports or music or you're a great coach or a great podcast. I mean, all these things are, are different and we actually all have that in us, but through various, you know, facts of history, uh, we've kind of been segregated and that's a mistake. People have to lean into their different interests. Sorry for the long answer. Cool. Favorite inspirational quote? I'm going to say, fuck it, let's do it. What profession, other than what you're doing, what would you take on? If you weren't being an entrepreneur today, what else would you be doing? Uh, it's pretty close. I, I, I would probably uh, be presenting a TV show or even a talk show. Room desk or your car, what do you clean first? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a funny question. I don't have a car. And although I spend more time at my desk than on my bed, I'm going to choose, or my room, I'm going to choose my room. <laughs> Do you have a favorite tune? Oh, I have so many. That's that's really, really difficult. Um, let me just uh, think about a, maybe a Canadian one. No, I, oh, oh, that's really, really difficult. There are so many. No, I don't. Sorry, too many. Favorite movie? Oh, there are a lot, but um, one that I really, really loved. And that, yeah, Goodfellas. What's your favorite swear word? Well, I'm in, I'm in Quebec, so I'm starting to, to like uh, Tabernacle. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty common, especially in Quebec. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question that I've only been experimenting with on a few of the shows. Do you have a question for me? That's a great one. Wow. Um, do I have a question for you? Was I any good? Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> Sorry for a self-serving all my, all my guests are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That's great. No, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. I, it was great meeting you in person. And I hope we can do this in person again in the future. Oh, and, uh, we will. Oh, we will. I hope, I hope the way your, your interview comes out uh, is, uh, is, is as good as, um, as you make mine and vice versa. It'll be great. Okay, final question, buddy. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for this interview. I'm hugely grateful. Uh, and you'll be uh, probably uh, surprised to hear that this is actually my first full-on, you know, long-form, proper interview ever in my life. So yeah. for someone who interviews people day in, day out, it's, uh, it's both an intriguing concept. It's definitely something that... that, that yeah, I, I didn't know how to prepare for, and therefore I didn't prepare. I just went into it. That's all we but want. I'm, I'm, it, it's really, it's really an interesting exercise in structuring your own thoughts as well. So nothing but gratitude. And I'm grateful today to uh, have interviewed you. I'm grateful to have met you and uh, to uh, you know spent a couple of beers, um, you know, chatting about life and chatting about what's going on politically and economically. I'm pretty uh, fired up about it on any given day, and uh, certainly. Uh, I am uh, very, very grateful to uh, have had the opportunity to have you on the show today. So thanks very much, Florent. Thank you so, so much. Let's do it again in the future. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.